Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is bonus episode number five, A Kingdom Like a Mustard Seed. And the following is actually a sermon that I preached just two days ago to our church in eastern North Carolina from Matthew 13, where Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, which when it is planted in the ground, grows up into a large tree and gives the birds of the heavens places to rest in its shade. And I've decided to insert it into the podcast as a bonus episode right now for several reasons. Um, The first is that for those of you listening in on the podcast from a weekly basis, you know that we are in the heart of Revelation chapter 13, which is intensely political by nature. And it was in John's day and has ramifications politically for our own day. But I've also decided to insert it here because if you are even half awake today, you know that the political climate in America is extremely high. And what I've noticed being in church ministry, being a pastor myself, but also having friends who are Christians, having friends who are not listening to conversations online and other places, I've noticed that this is not just politically hot in terms of its climate, but Christians find themselves on all sides of the political spectrum as well. And a general rule of thumb, oftentimes spoken about in some contexts, is that you need to keep politics and religion out of the conversation unless you want things to get heated um, really quickly. And of course, you don't have to be online very long to notice that lots of people ignore that advice and do in fact get heated really quickly when they discuss these topics. But as I shared uh, several weeks ago when I inserted a bonus episode sermon, I didn't set out at the beginning of the week to address this type of issue. But as our lectionary in the Anglican Church would have it, Jesus does the hard work for me. And I know that we have a lot of little cute and quaint sayings that are passed around within Christian circles when it comes time to discuss things like mustard seeds. But believe it or not, Jesus's mustard seed analogy that he uses to describe the kingdom of heaven is intensely political in nature. And what I have found is that not only do many people not realize that, but they don't really know how to navigate the world of politics and as it relates to the Christian faith. And so I have been thinking about these things and pondering them for quite some time, and I am in a setting in the eastern North Carolina, where my church is predominantly um, conservative. Um, They would align with a Republican party in terms of their political outlook, which, which is fine. But I have noticed some of the times in the ways that Christians in general speak of political things, they feel very comfortable aligning themselves with a particular party because of their religious convictions. And this is where things get messy. And they don't actually get messy because politics is something we shouldn't discuss. They get messy because partisan politics is something where we tend to blur lines that Jesus doesn't want us to blur. And so what I have attempted to do in this sermon, one that I labored on for hours and hours to try to get my words out just right, I wanted to offer our church a mustard seed sampling 
of some of the beginning ways we need to think about the relationship between religion, or maybe better put, between the Christian faith and the kingdom of God, and the world of politics. Because I know these words sound um, divisive, and sometimes they're used that way, but I believe that if Jesus himself wants to bring us true life, then he ought to be able to address situations where we actually live. And this is where people live today. People live in the realm of political discussions. Some place their hopes there. Some simply get very irritated and agitated when you begin to talk about these topics and don't really know how to navigate them. So what I'm attempting to do is believing that Jesus is presenting us with the kingdom of God is an invitation into a life of love, into a life of real life, into a life of hope, and into a life of peace, which he has promised to give us. And the following sermon is my attempt to love my people into a deeper and richer understanding of the relationship between Jesus's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. And so I do not dot every I or cross every T, but I am trying to bring real people along my journey with me, just like I'm doing on this podcast, but in my actual church so that they can more faithfully understand who Jesus is and who he's calling us to be as citizens of his kingdom. And so I just offer to you today a kingdom like a mustard seed. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and then throw, throw them into the fiery furnace. At that, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus, we do ask you for your presence, for your power and your strength to communicate your word to us in our time and in our setting. We thank you that you care enough about us to bring us words of life. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible with you or on your chair on the end of your rows or little pods as they now might be situated in this room, would invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 13. 
I began reading in verse 31, skipped a couple verses, ended up with verse 50, but we'll be focusing in really in verses 31, 32, and 33. I am continually amazed by how Jesus' words always seem to have something to say to us. If only, as we looked at it several weeks ago, we have ears to hear them. I'm continually amazed that there is nothing new under the sun, and that our struggles have all been faced before. In fact, it was a time of political unrest, not too dissimilar to our own, that Jesus first spoke the words that I read to you a moment ago. And they were taken from an Old Testament passage also involving political unrest, and where God's people were tempted and are often still tempted to turn in the face of that kind of unrest. When the powerful kingdom of Babylon threatened the nation of Israel and the freedoms that Israel wanted to maintain, they turned their attention to Egypt. They set their hopes on one kingdom of power to free them from another. And three times the Lord asks Ezekiel a profound question. Will my people thrive? In other words, is the path that Israel was choosing to divert disaster the path that would bring them life? Now, the Lord promises Ezekiel that he is going to do something in response to the mess that they find themselves in. That he will pluck a branch from Israel and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, bird of every sort will nest. Now, if you're following along from the gospel reading that I just gave to you from Matthew 13, where Jesus compares a mustard seed growing into a giant tree, the branches of which will provide rest and shade for every bird of the heavens, you would be a a very insightful Bible reader if you made that connection. But why does Jesus use those words in his setting? Why does Jesus reach back into the book of Ezekiel, in order to address his own cultural climate. And why on earth do I think it's amazing that his words are relevant to us? Well, I'd like to do something for you today. I would like us to take Old Testament Israel, bring it into Jesus' day, and then take them both and bring it into our day. And if we can do that, I think we are both faithful readers of the Bible, but also faithful appliers of it. So I want you to follow along with me. What was Jesus' setting Jesus' situation was the same as Old Testament Israel's. Remember, there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus' day, like Ezekiel's, there was much political unrest. And here's what I mean. The people of God remembered a time in their history when they were a nation under God, experiencing his blessings on them as his people. They were free to worship him as their king. And under David, at least enjoyed a good life. But now the Romans had come into their land and corrupted it. Think of Israel's frustration that their sacred land had been taken over by the Romans who were enforcing unjust laws and heavy taxation on their subjects, 
the Jews themselves, God's very own people. And imagine how eagerly they were awaiting their coming Messiah, their king, the one God would send to deliver them to restore order and peace to their great land and to bring judgment on their enemies. This was the climate of the first century. This was the political scene. Surely God himself wants the nations of the world to submit to his rule. Surely God must be righteously angry at what Rome has done to his people. Surely God must be coming swiftly with his judgment on all those who do not submit to him. This is what the people were hoping for. What they were sure was coming. And then a man starts walking around saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, is like leaven, is like a treasure hidden in a field is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Jesus begins proclaiming the kingdom of God, the long-awaited, much-needed kingdom to restore order and blessing, and he says it's like a mustard seed? What? Jesus, we don't need some pie-in-the-sky, privatized, devotional word of the day. We are being overtaken by a powerful enemy. We need a powerful response from God. We need God to show everyone that He's the rightful King and needs to be worshipped and that His will needs to be done on earth as in heaven. And Jesus' response is simple. I agree with you. We do need a powerful response from God. You do need God to show everyone that He is the rightful King and needs to be worshipped but you are not looking at things in the right way. The mustard seed kingdom is the answer to every one of your concerns. And so what I want to do this morning is to help explain to you how. How is Jesus' response our answer? How does a mustard seed kingdom respond to political unrest in a land? How is something so small, so hidden, so insignificant really going to make a difference across a whole society? Let's find out together. Many people throughout history have believed and have allowed the belief that the kingdom of God is something personal to mean that the kingdom of God is something private. But this is simply not true. The kingdom of God gets planted in individual people's hearts, yes, and in that way it is personal, but the reason it begins there is not because it is meant to be a private affair, it is because society as a whole is made up of individuals. And Jesus is addressing how it is that entire societies come to function in ways that truly honor God. Put differently, Jesus is here explaining to us how politics actually works. What is politics anyway? If you got on the Google, as some people affectionately affectionately call it, and you typed in politics, what would come up? I'll tell you what would come up. It might help if we had this working definition functioning with us today. Politics, from the Greek word politica, which means the affairs of the cities, is only the set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups 
or other forms of power relations between individuals such as the distribution of resources or status. That's what politics is. That's what it means. So put even more simply, politics tries to address what it ought to look like to live in a rightly ordered human community that encourages human flourishing, justice, and peace. And it is constantly asking these kinds of questions. How do we live together? How do we deal with offenses? How do we deal with money? How do we deal with enemies and violence? How do we arrange marriage and families and social structures? How ought authority to be, should be mediated, employed, and ordered? And on and on and on. Now what is absolutely remarkable to me is that Jesus spends his entire teaching ministry addressing these kinds of questions. He's come to order his own society. A society that welcomes God is king into the only place each of us personally has any control over, our own hearts. Is this a personal thing? Absolutely it is. Is it private? Absolutely not. How can learning to deal with offenses be a private matter? It's other people who create offenses. How can dealing with enemies and violence be private? I hope you realize, and if you don't, I'll help you, that without other people, you and I cannot even do 90% of the things Jesus taught us to do. And so the question Jesus is asking is, do you want to live in a place where God is king? Then allow God to be king in your own heart. Learn to live out his politics in your closest relationships, in your family, and then in your church community. Now let me be extremely honest with you. This feels small to us. This feels insignificant. Put a little leaven in some dough, that feels slow. Who likes to sit around and watch their bread rise over this, the oven? No one. It's like watching paint dry. It's boring, it's dull, it seems pointless. It doesn't feel to us like the way we imagine the God of creation would go about establishing his kingdom. And you'd be right. It doesn't. But here's the good news. Are you ready? The kingdom of God doesn't just feel small. It is small. Jesus says it's like a mustard seed. And here's the best part. You and I cannot even begin to calculate how widespread and fruitful God desires his kingdom to be in this world when we trust him to bring that kingdom about in his own way. We have no idea how each one of us allowing his truth to get planted deeply within our hearts will bear fruit in ways we cannot even fathom. We have no idea how pursuing meekness, for example, will in any way cause the creation to flourish. You realize how odd one of the Beatitudes sounds, right, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No one on the earth actually believes that because the people we want in positions of power are not meek. They're aggressive. They get stuff done. They tackle big tasks and they do it with force if necessary. But Jesus is saying, I want the creation to flourish. And the way that works, according to his parable, 
is how he's describing what the mustard seed will turn into. It will turn into a place where the birds of the heavens will come and nest in its branches. This is a blessing for creation, but it doesn't look like that initially. This tiny seed, when planted by Jesus, will grow into something that will bless the world. The answer isn't big. It's small. The answer is not top-down. It's bottom-up. It's not outside-in. It's inside-out. The answer is not power-over. It's power-under. The answer is not strength. It's weakness. The answer is not aggression. It's meekness. The answer is not Caesar. It's Jesus. Because remember, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Now this does not mean, as I have grown up hearing, and know that there are many Christians alive today who think this. Let me be very clear with you. This does not mean that his kingdom does not affect this world or that it doesn't apply to this world. There is a mindset sometimes, and Christians pick this up, sometimes they're taught this, sometimes they just believe it on their own, but that we've got life here taken a pretty well handle on. What we're going to focus Jesus' attention on is what's going to happen in the life to come. So the kingdom here, what happens in earthly affairs, that's for us to deal with, but Jesus' matters are just for the heavens and for the next life, you know, the life that we don't feel like we have any control over. But we got things just fine down here, Jesus. We can handle the affairs on the earth just fine. We'll bring you in to support our affairs, but we think that's the way it works. That's not what Jesus is saying. His kingdom affects this world and it applies to this world. What he is saying when he says my kingdom is not of this world is that it doesn't function the way this world's kingdoms function. It operates from a different starting point and it draws on a power that is otherworldly. Now right here is where Israel experienced real temptation and where many of us may experience it too. Well, you know, but I mean, if we could only get the powers that be on our side, think of how much more effectively we could further God's workings in the world. Think of how honored God would be if an entire society submitted to his rule. Now, the reason why this is a temptation is because there is partial truth in this way of thinking. Does God desire for an entire society to submit to his rule? Absolutely. But what we need to see is how he chooses to do that. He chooses to do it in mustard seed fashion, from the bottom up, not the top down, from the inside out, not the outside in, through power under not power over. Jesus did not partner with the powers that be in order to ensure that God's will would be done. Actually, Jesus rejected the powers that be altogether and they vehemently rejected him. Jesus' way was the way of love, an invitation for all to be free of all the things that enslave human beings. He didn't partner with the powers that be because they cannot get to the root of any of that. And Jesus knows that legislating righteousness will not make anyone righteous. 
Listen to me. God himself even tried that with the nation of Israel. And things went south fast. If God is truly interested in righteousness, he has to plant the seed on the inside, like leaven, and have it work itself out through all the dough. He cannot force righteousness on anyone because to do so is not righteous. And God will not use unrighteous means to bring about righteous ends. And this is why things get particularly muddy when the powers that be get involved. The reason is because those who wish for the powers that be to legislate order tend to want to impose only the types of things on society as a whole that they personally already adhere to in their own lives. And therefore, any government involvement that infringes upon their personal rights and freedoms is viewed as a threat, and they strongly oppose those kinds of things. Well, flip the tables. Imagine someone else in the land doesn't adhere to your private morality. How is it then fair for the government to tell them what to do? Christians, though, have a totally deeper politic at work all the time. As our king, Jesus is calling us to make him first priority in our lives. He is calling us to learn how to deal with our enemies, how to deal with offenses, how to handle our money, how to exercise authority, and how to live together. And it is the Christians who know that Jesus' call for repentance is the necessary first step to even begin properly living out Jesus' ways. And if I had an extra 30 minutes, I would show you all of the different things I think Jesus means when he calls people to repent. Let me give you two. The first thing he wants you to do is repent of all the things you think bring life in this world. And number two, I want you to repent of all the ways you imagine God will choose to bring his rule to the earth. No one was ready for Jesus' way of bringing peace and order to an uncivilized world. No one. And I would like to submit that we're still not ready for that. But that's for another day. Societies as a whole, they don't know anything about this. And societies as a whole cannot be forced to do anything about this. And I just want you to track with me. This is why partisan politics is not where the answer lies. The partisan debate in our country really isn't a debate over right and wrong. It's a debate over whose issues the government ought to be requiring of the rest of the country. Both sides are drawing upon the powers that be. Both sides want the government in their pocket. Both sides are attempting to rule from the top down, from the outside in, from power over. And therefore, Jesus' bottom-up, inside-out, power-under-kingdom cannot be part of either system. Now, I'm not sure what you think about this, but I want you to hear Jesus' words this morning as the words of hope that they are. Words that can stand up to even our worst fears. I would say that for many people today, a genuine concern is that somehow 
we might lose our religious freedom in this country. There may be other concerns, but this one, I suspect, weighs heavily on people's minds. So then let's just play this out. If truth is real and love is real and perfect love casts out fear, then let's play the fear out. Let's just play it out. Let's imagine for a minute that it becomes not just increasingly more difficult, but actually illegal to be a Christian in this country. Just let that rest on you for just a second. Now, that loss of religious freedom may seem like a lot to us and may seem like a loss to us, but it is not a loss to God. God loses nothing if pursuing him is made illegal in America. Now let that rest on you for just a moment. So while it sounds like a spiritual concern, one that many assume God would be concerned with as well, maintaining religious freedom doesn't add to God's purposes in the world and losing it doesn't take anything away. Why not? Well, it goes right back to Jesus' definition of politics and to the personal way that he brings his kingdom. Can the law forbid us from loving our enemies, trusting in our Father to provide all we need, caring for the poor, sharing our resources with those who need them, forgiving those who sin against us, blessing those who curse us, outdoing one another in showing honor and paying back evil with good? Can a law prevent us from worshiping the Father in spirit and truth, from being filled with His Spirit, from encouraging one another and building one another up, from meeting the needs of people wherever we see them, and from exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? The answer is no. In fact, in Galatians 5, immediately after listing these nine fruit of the Spirit, Paul explicitly tells us, Against such things, there is no law. In other words, there will never be a law in place telling people that they cannot act lovingly, joyfully, patiently, kindly, gently, faithfully, etc. It certainly won't encourage such behavior, but there's nothing lawmaking or law-breaking can do in the face of the Spirit's activity. And this is why Paul tells the Corinthians... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If freedom is what we want, if God as King is what we want, if God's will being done on earth as in heaven is what we want, then the way to obtain all of that isn't through government protection. It's through living in the Spirit. This is the invitation Jesus is extending to the entire world that we would allow him to do the heart work required within each one of us so that the spirit, the bringer of true freedom, can feel at home in our lives. This is how God becomes king. This is how societies are transformed. And this is why the New Testament is filled with letters written to churches explaining to them how to live out the gospel of the kingdom in their new little societies. 
That's all churches are after all. They're just little societies. They are the first places on earth where actual people attempt to live out Jesus' politics in a social setting. Learning to embody his self-sacrificial, compassionate, enemy-loving person by self-sacrificially, compassionately loving others in our midst who might not be like us. That's what this is. That's what the 25 of us are. We operate under a politic. It is a way of living amongst each other. And only by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit can you and I even begin to attempt to know how to talk to one another when we strongly disagree about something. Or to go to someone in love when we've got an issue with them of something they've done or said that offends us. We realize if I don't go to them in love and tell them that they've offended me, they may be perfectly oblivious to that. Instead, what we like to do is sit back, brew in it, stew in it, not talk to people. We want the society as a whole to be a nation of truth. But the fact of the matter is we don't want to be truth people. We don't want to come to somebody in truth and talk to them in truth and in love. We'd rather beat them over the head because they ought to know better. Then where is God king? He's not king anywhere. Because his people don't want him to be king in a place that actually rubs us funny. But that's the precisely the places he needs to be. The church is God's society wherever you find it. The church is God's city on a hill. And the church's purpose in the world is to show them that there is a better way. A way to find hope even in the worst of circumstances. A way to find peace even when the world around them is in actual upheaval. That is the kingdom of God. And it expresses itself in the real world in and through the church. Now, you may have questions. I don't sit at home and imagine what I'm going to say on a Sunday morning. I read Jesus' words about a mustard seed. It took me to Ezekiel. The context is the same. What is the answer for the church? It is a mustard seed kingdom that trusts Jesus to do things in a small way. What we want and need from him is to let us recognize bigger is not always better. Faster is not always right. Sometimes small and slow with our faith in him is the way this unfolds. But if we are a society and we operate under Jesus's politics and you don't know what I'm talking about or you don't like what I'm saying, or you think I have an agenda, or you're not sure this has any place in the church, do us all a favor. Come and talk to me. Don't talk to each other. Don't wonder what he's up there doing and all that. Talk to me. If you're listening, and I imagine you are, although I tend to read people by their eyes and their mouths, and you're crippling me on the second part right now with all your mask wearing, my hunch would be, if you're tracking you may have questions. In fact, I hope you do. I think it is time for us as a church to be open, to be honest, to be real, 
to lay our concerns at the foot of the cross, to lay our desires at the foot of the cross, to start talking about this. What what does the world say, right? Never talk about politics and religion. People can't handle it. If we can't handle that, then let's just pack it up because this is where people live. And Jesus never shied away from talking where people live. What was it that Johanna said several weeks ago that I told you something like the closer religion gets to, the real, to real life, the more sense it makes? Oh, yeah. That is exactly right. And so if you have questions, I want you to come. I don't know what that looks like. It's not going to be some public forum. If you want to call me on the phone, if we want to have coffee, great. If you want to write me a letter because you need to get your thoughts out, great. But let's talk. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is powerful but it operates in a different kind of power. One where the Lord plucking a branch off of Israel and planting it in his holy mountain. Do you know how the Lord planted his um, branch into his holy mountain? He put him on a cross and let the Romans kill him. That's how God starts a kingdom. And guess what? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. This one will never end. Jesus, you're the bringer of a real kingdom. You're the bringer of a real hope, real peace, and real life. And we know that there will always be fabrications of that. And not that the fabrications are all totally terrible or wrong. It's just that they bring with them things that are not purely of you. And Jesus, you've called us to one thing and you say that when we attach ourselves solely to you, you alone will bring us the hope, life, and peace we seek. So I am simply saying out loud what we all believe to be true. So we ask you to bring your spirit into this place, to start in this group of 25, this society, that this society in this room, in these four walls, would be a society where you really are king, where we really are able to lay our concerns and our weights before you, and we rally around one another and learn what it means to live as kingdom citizens. We love you, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I do hope that that sermon was an encouragement to you. Um, Perhaps it was even a challenge to you or something that you still aren't quite sure you know how to work out. And that's great. And I would definitely extend the same invitation to you that I extended to my entire church, which you just heard several minutes ago yourself. And that is that if you have some questions or you have some concerns, come and talk to me. I am very accessible to you as podcast listeners as well as to members of my church or anybody that I happen to meet. You can contact me at unbindingthebible at gmail.com and I would welcome any questions or comments that you have because the reality is I really did only give a mustard seed sampling of this topic. There are hosts of other things to say. There are many, many, many implications of what I just presented in that sermon for us to flesh out that will take us years of our lives to fully grasp and to get a handle on. And that's okay. Jesus knows that. 
And so nothing that Jesus ever presents us with is so daunting that there's no way we could possibly navigate our way out. He always starts with us where we are and wants to bring us to where he is. And so that's my invitation to you because that's Jesus's invitation to all of us. And so if you have questions or you have comments or you are curious who else is saying this and where else can you begin to explore in your own study, I would be happy to share resources, names of friends, put you in touch with people who can help you think critically the way I believe Jesus wants us all to think about the ways of his kingdom. So I'm thankful so much that you are tracking along with me in this bonus episode. Tune in every Thursday again for a new episode that will appear on the podcast. And it's just great to be able to um, pursue Jesus together with you. Have a great week.